Chapter 12, Part 4 of More Love to Thee, The Life and Letters of Elizabeth Prentice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. More Love to Thee, The Life and Letters of Elizabeth Prentice by George Prentice. Chapter 12, Part 4. Christian parents to expect piety in their children. Perfection. People make too much parade of their troubles. Higher life doctrines. Letter to Mrs. Washburn. Last visit to Williamstown. Early in June she went to Dorset. The summer, like that of 1871, was shadowed by anxiety and inward conflict but her careworn thoughts were greatly soothed by her rural occupations, by visits from young friends, and by the ever-fresh charms of nature around her. To a Christian friend, Dorset, June the ninth, 1872. I was obliged to give up my much-desired visit to you. We went on to the funeral of Professor Hopkins, and that took three days out of the busy time just before coming here. I particularly wanted you to know at the time that my three younger children united with the church on Sunday last, but had not a moment in which to write you. It was a touching sight to our people. Mr. P. looked down on his children so lovingly and kissed them when the covenant had been read. He said Blank's face was so full of soul that he could not help it, and his heart yearned over them all. Someone said there was not a dry eye in the house. I felt not elated, not cast down, but at peace. I think it plain that Christian parents are to expect piety in their children and expect it early. In mine it is indeed first the blade, and they will, no doubt, have their trials and temptations. But it seems to me I must leave them in God's hands and let him lead them as he will. It was very sweet to have the elements passed to me by their young hands. Offer one earnest prayer for them at least, that they may prove true soldiers and servants of Jesus Christ. No doubt your two little sainted ones looked on and loved the children of their mother's friend. The following testimony of one of President Garfield's classmates and intimate friends may fitly be added here. For him there was but one Mark Hopkins in all the world, but for Professor Albert Hopkins also, or Prof. Al, as he was called in those days, the general, not only while at college, but all through life, entertained the highest regard, both as a man and a scholar. His intellectual attainments were thought by General G. to be of an unusually fine order, rivalling those of his brother, and often eliciting the admiration not only of himself, but of all the other students. In speaking of his Williamstown life, General Garfield always referred to Professor Hopkins in the most affectionate manner, and both from his own statements and my personal observation, I know that their mutual college relations were of the pleasantest nature possible. On the subject of perfection, you say I am looking for angelic perfection. I see no difference in kind. Perfection is perfection to my mind. 
and I've always thought it a dangerous thing for a soul to fancy it had attained it. Yet, in her last letters to me, Miss virtually professes to have become free of sin. She says self and sin are the same thing, and that she is entirely dead to self. What is this but complete sanctification? What can an angel say more? I feel painfully bewildered amid conflicting testimonies, and sometimes long to flee away from everybody. Miss Blank's last letter saddened me, I will own. You say, I am in danger of becoming morbid, or stupid, or wild, or something I ought not. Why in danger? According to your own doctrine, you are safe, being entirely sanctified from moment to moment. At any rate, I can say nothing to quicken you, for I am morbid and stupid, though just now not wild. Those sharp temptations have ceased, though perhaps only for a season, but I have been physically weakened by them, and have got to take care of myself, go to bed early, and vegetate all I can, and this when I ought to be hard at work ministering to other souls. The fact is, I don't know anything, and don't do anything, but just get through the day somehow, wondering what all this strange, unfamiliar state of things will end in. Poor M has gone crazy on holiness through faith, and will probably have to go to an asylum. Our little home looks and is very pleasant. I take some comfort in it, and try to realise the goodness that gives me such a luxury. But a soul that has known what it is to live to Christ can be happy only in him. May he be all in all to you, and consciously so to me in his own good time. To Miss Woolsey, Dorset, June the 23rd, 1872. I wish you could come and take a look at us this quiet afternoon. Not a soul is to be seen or heard. The mountains are covered with the soft haze that says the day is warm but not oppressive, and here and there a brilliantly coloured bird flies by, setting Tweedledum, our taciturn canary, into tune. Em and I have driven at our outdoor work like a pair of steam engines, and you can imagine how dignified I am from the fact that an old fuddy-duddy who does occasional jobs for me summons me to my window by a hello beneath it, while G says to us, Where are you girls going to sit this afternoon? Your sister's allusion to Watts and select hymns reminds me of ages long past, when I used to sing the whole book through as I marched night after night through my room, carrying a colicky baby up and down for fifteen months, till I became a living skeleton. We do contrive to live through queer experiences. To a young friend, Dorset, August the 3rd, 1872. The lines you kindly copied for me have the ring of the true metal, and I like them exceedingly. People make too much parade of their troubles and too much fuss about them. The fact is, we are all born to tribulation, as we also are to innumerable joys, and there is no sense in being too much depressed or elated by either. The saddest birds are seasoned fine to sing. Few, if any, lives flow in unmingled currents. As to myself, my rural tastes are so strong 
and I have so much to absorb and gratify me that I need a mixture of experience. Two roses that bloomed in my garden this morning made my heart leap with delight, and when I get off into the woods with M and we collect mosses and ferns and scarlet berries, I am conscious of great enjoyment in them. At the same time, if I thought it best to tell the other side of the story, I should want some very black ink with which to do it. We must take life as God gives it to us, without murmurings and disputings, and with the checks on our natural eagerness that keeps us mindful of him. You speak of the higher life people. I still hold my judgment in suspense in regard to their doctrines, reading pretty much all they send me, and asking daily for light from on high. I have had some talks this summer with Dr. Stearns on these subjects, and he urges me to keep where I am. But I try not to be too much influenced for or against doctrines I do not, by experience, understand. Let us do the will of God, and suffer it, and we shall learn of the doctrine. To Mrs. Washburn, Cowninfels, Friday evening, September 1872. I have done nothing but tear my hair ever since you left, to think I let you go. It would have been so easy to send you to Manchester tomorrow morning, after a night here, and an evening over our little wood fire. But we were so glad to see you both, so bewildered by your sudden appearance, that neither of us thought of it till you were gone. And now you are still within reach, and we want you to reconsider your resolution to turn your backs upon us after such a long, fatiguing journey, and eating no salt with us. I did not urge your staying, because I do so hate to be urged myself, but I want you to feel what a great pleasure it would be to us if you could make up your minds to stay at least over Sunday, or if tomorrow and Sunday are unpleasant, just a day or two more, to take our favourite drives with us, and give us what you may never have a chance to give us again. I declare I shall think you are crazy if you don't stay a few days, now that you are here. We have been longing to have you come, and only waiting for our place to be a little less naked, in order to lay violent hands on you. But now you have seen the nakedness of the land, we don't care, but want you to see more of it. This is the time, and exactly the time, when we have nothing to do but to enjoy our visitors, and next year the house may be running over. And if you don't come now, you'll have the plague of having to come some other time, and it is a long, formidable journey. Why didn't we just take and lock you up when we had hold of you? Well, now I've torn out all my hair, and people will be saying, Go up, thou bald head. Besides, you left them bunchberries, and do you suppose you can go home without them? Why, it wouldn't be safe. You would be run off the track, and scalded by steam, and broken all in pieces, and caught on the cowcatcher, and get lost, be run away with. Even struck by lightning, I shouldn't wonder. And now, if you go in tomorrow's train, you'll catch the smallpox, and the measles, and the scarlet fever, and the yellow fever, and all the colours in the rainbow fever, and go into a consumption, and have the pleurisy, and the jaundice, and the toothache, and the headache, and above all, the conscience ache. 
and you never ate any of our corn or our beans. You never so much as asked the receipt for our ironclads. You haven't seen our cow. You haven't been down cellar. You haven't fished in our brook. You haven't been here at all now, I come to think of it. I dreamed you flew through, but it was nothing but a dream. And the houses have a habit of burning down, and ours is going to do as the rest do, and then how you'll feel in your minds. And when folks set themselves up against us, and won't let us have our own way, why then, I tell my daughter, what makes folks do as they'd alter not, and why don't they do as they'd alter? And we all pine away and die like the babes in the woods, and nobody's left to cover us up with leaves. Send all these arguments home by telegram, and your folks will shoot you if you dare to go. I could write another sheet, if it would do any good. Now do lay my words to heart, and come right back. To Miss Morse, Dorset, October the 7th, 1872. I sent home my servants a month ago and they have been getting the parsonage to rights, while I have in their places two dear old souls who came to live with me twenty years ago. One stayed ten years and then got married. The other I parted with when my children died, because I did not need her. It has been a green spot in the summer to have these affectionate, devoted creatures in the house. We have had only one slight frost, but the woods have been gradually changing and are in spots very beautiful. We, you know what that word means, have been off gathering bright leaves for ourselves and the servants, who care for pretty things just as we do. Yet not a flower has gone. We have had a host of verbenas and gladioli, some Japanese lilies and so on, and have been able to give some pleasure to those who have not time to cultivate them for themselves. It has been a dreadful season for sickness here, and flowers have been wanted in many a sick room, and at some funerals. Since I wrote you last, we have been to Williamstown. I wanted to get possession of my sister's private papers. Everything passed off nicely. I burned a large amount, and brought away a trunk full, a part of which I have been reading with deep interest. Her journals date back to the age of fifteen, though to read the early ones, you would never dream of her being less than twenty or thirty. She was a wonderful woman, and as I found such ample material for a memorial of her life, I felt half tempted to carry out her husband's wishes and complete one. But on the whole I do not think I shall. You can imagine how my soul has been stirred by the whole thing, the farewell to the familiar objects of my childhood, the sense of a new race taking possession of her conservatory, her shells, her minerals, her pictures, her German, French, Italian, Spanish, Latin, Hebrew and Greek library. Dear me, but I need not enlarge on it to you. And how stupid it is not to forget it all alongside of her ten years in heaven. End of chapter 12, part 4